Amen. Open up to the book of Isaiah. Open up to the book of Isaiah, and you can go to Isaiah chapter 60. We're going to be all over the book of Isaiah today, but we're going to start in Isaiah 60. So you can go to Isaiah 60. The sermon title today is Dawn for Our Darkness. Our Christmas theme this year is A New and Glorious Morn. I've been in Isaiah before, some of the more famous passages, right? For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, he he shall be called, you know, we did all the names. Uh, We've done individual passages about uh, Jesus from Isaiah, but here's what I've never done. I've never taken the theme of light and darkness in the book of Isaiah and traced the theme of just that. So what we're going to do today is we're going to trace the theme of light and darkness throughout the whole book of Isaiah, because that's our theme this year. Our theme is a new and glorious morn, a dawn for, uh, for our darkness. Now, you need to know that Isaiah was a prophet to Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, in 740 B.C. His, he got his commission. 740 B.C. And Israel was in a civil war, which was tearing the nation apart. There were also superpowers around them, Assyria at first and Babylon soon to come, that also had Israel in their eye as a nation that they wanted to conquer. God warned through the prophets that judgment was drawing near because of the sin of Israel. And you want to know how dark things got in Isaiah's day? Remember how we had a civil war a while ago? Remember that? Imagine if at the end of that civil war, the North, that's us, was deported to another country and resettled. And the South was still around. And 100 years after Isaiah died, they were going to get deported too. A total loss. God was revealing to this prophet just how dark their history was going to get. Things were terrible, primarily because of political, geopolitical, and war problems. So it's in this dark book that God starts talking about how he's going to bring light, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. Sometimes when we talk about prophecy, people get a little intimidated, right? Like when I was a new Christian, I'd read the New Testament because it was about Jesus. But if you go into the old, things get scary back there. And let me just tell you one simple way to think about prophecy. Um, and this isn't original me. Another writer said it this way, which helped me. It's not just a person looking at the future and, and predicting something. Prophecy has a near and a far fulfillment. So I watched Sesame Street growing up. Anybody else watch Sesame Street growing up? So Grover, in one episode where he wanted to teach you the meaning between near and far, he would run right up to the camera and say, near! And then he'd turn around and run all the way away from the camera and say, far! And then he'd come back and say, near! That's how prophecy works. There were fulfillments in Isaiah's day, near. And then there would be more fulfillments that line up with that far. And here's what's so mind-blowing. God didn't just give Isaiah 700 years B.C., a preview of Christmas. That alone should blow your mind. He kept going far, far, far and showed Isaiah the end of humanity and the beginning of eternity. What a book. So the light that we are going to learn about today is not just for Isaiah's time and it's not just for Christmas. It's going to stretch on forever. Wow. This is going to be a great study. The first thing you can jot down is this. The world is full of darkness and needs light from heaven. The world is full of darkness and needs light from heaven. In um, Israel, there was little hope. 
They were going to be destroyed. They were going to be conquered. They were going to be deported. And so it's amazing in Isaiah 60 that he says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. You can see how this chapter goes on to preview the wise men coming from afar uh, and, and asking, where is the one who is born king? But listen to what it says here. Darkness shall cover the earth. Thick darkness the peoples. The world is full of darkness. Therefore, we need light from heaven. Do you agree when you look around that the world is a dark and dangerous place? Do you agree when you look at the headlines that... The city of Chicago is a dark and dangerous place. Do you agree when you look at the headlines of even natural disasters? What's going on? Did you see that tornado that just ripped through uh, Kentucky? Two, what was it? 240 miles that thing was on the ground. Entire cities destroyed. This world is a dark and a dangerous place. This world is dark and dangerous out there. But have you looked deep within your soul? And have you seen that this is not out there? It's in here. There are things about yourself you can't explain or control or change or fix or repair. There's a darkness in here, and you don't know what to do about that. In your loved ones, there's just things about them that are dark. Dark. The world is full of darkness, and so are our hearts, and so we need light from heaven. Do you agree with that? Because the Bible says that. If you don't agree with that, then you really don't even need Christmas. If you're okay, and everything's okay, and we'll get there, and just hit a few bumps in the road, and you don't need, you don't need light. But if you agree that the world is a dark place, then we need a light from heaven. What does darkness actually mean? It symbolizes something. Jot this down. Darkness means we've fallen away from God. Darkness means we've fallen away from God. We have taken a sinful posture, and so it... Physically, we know what darkness feels like, but it's meant to show us a spiritual reality. When we are born, we are born into spiritual darkness. And that means that we are fallen. We're fallen spiritually and we're fallen away from God. This is the very essence of what it means to be human. We are born into darkness and we don't just find ourselves in darkness, we love it. We love darkness. And therefore, the light is something that we're not fond of. So we start life far from God's light. And listen, that's true whether you grow up in the church or not. There's darkness in our hearts. In Isaiah 9-2, here's what it says. We'll put it up on the screen. The people who walked in darkness, that's our life, walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. This talks about the Messiah's arrival. It's in this chapter where it says, for unto us a child is born, a child of light, a miracle baby who would be born king and who would rule forever. So the spiritual darkness that we all walk in can only be illuminated by a person, a divine person who would come down with the light of heaven. Listen, this is 700 years before Christmas. God's, do you see how the Bible has one plan? 
It's not like God was like, well, now I'll try this, the flood. That didn't work. Now I'll try this, the burning bush. Well, that didn't work either. Jesus is not plan Z. All right. Jesus is, is plan A through Z. Throughout the Bible, God was going to send his son. There is one plan. The plan is a person. The person is Christ. We've fallen away from God. He had to come to us. Jot this down. Darkness also means we've rejected God's law. Oh, everybody likes the thought of God coming to visit them. Ooh, God's coming. Oh, sure, I'd like to meet God. I've got some questions for him. I've got some problems for him. And maybe he'll give me something nice. I'd love to meet God. Well, uh, there's a problem. You've broken his law. You've sinned. You've lived in a way that's offensive to him. What? He's mad at me? They don't like that part. They don't like the part of God coming kind of as a prosecuting attorney. That isn't what we want to hear. So darkness also means we've rejected God's law. In Isaiah 5.20, here's how they say it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now I know this in no way characterizes our age. So let me tell you, back then, there were some people who if the Bible, the Old Testament said this was good, they said, and I know you're going to gasp, they said, no, that's bad. <gasps> Go ahead and gasp. <gasps> and listen, if they said, God wants this, there were people who said, no, he doesn't, he wants that. <gasps> and there were people who were actually running the government with violence and corruption and bribery, and they said, God doesn't even care. Now, that was a long time ago, right? So we don't know that world anymore, do we? Things don't change. We've rejected God's law. And again, it's easy to point fingers at other people. It's not just them, it's us. Because we've known very well. I was doing a counseling session once, and there was a woman who was having marital trouble, and her husband was in a lot more trouble than her, right? And then I met with her at one point, and then she started getting in trouble too. And the Bible was on the desk. She grew up in a Christian home. Her husband didn't. And we were talking, and while I said, do you think that this is the way God wants you to live her life? Here's what she did. She looked at the Bible, and she said, I know what that book says, but I just can't do it. See, she knew. She knew. And we know too. So we can't just point fingers. We've rejected God's law. Isaiah 59.9 says this, Therefore justice is far from us, and the righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light. Behold darkness for brightness, but we walk in gloom. This is the pattern of our lives when we break God's law, when we think we know better than him, when the Bible says go left and we go right, when the Bible says don't and we say do, when the Bible says do and we say don't, when we live out of line with this book because it's out of date or can't trust it or who lives that way anymore, when you veer off of the safe trail of God's word, darkness comes. And it takes you time. It takes you time to realize it. Sometimes as my kids are getting older, they're entering the adult world, I'll say, look, I don't control you anymore. There's no more spankings, okay? But I'll say this. What I have taught you about God's word is true. And you're either going to learn that the easy way or the hard way. But listen, it is true. And Israel was learning it the hard way. And we've learned a lot of lessons the hard way. And things have gotten so bad here that in this chapter, God was whistling for nations to come destroy his people. 
because they were breaking his law. Hey, have you discovered that when you break God's law, it invites God's judgment and plunges you into darkness? Oh, it might be fun for a while, but God is whistling, whistling for your hardship to come. Maybe you're in a season of discipline right now where God is chastening you severely because you've broken his law. And it's driven you to darkness. When we reject God's law, it leads to the chaos and the carnage and the bloodshed that fills the pages of human history. It's a result of contempt for God's law. And there has never been a time like this where systematically nations all around the world are systematically rejecting God's law in some of the most offensive and perverse and provocative ways imaginable. That's where we are. Darkness, we rejected God's law. Jot this down. Darkness means we can't see or know God. So because we've fallen away and we've rejected his law, we can't see or know him. We can't see or know him. So this darkness is like a blindness. Like, here's us. We can't find him. But it's so dark that, that we've fallen away. The law is kind of referred to as the light. We're not following that. So we, we can't find God. We can't see him. We can't know him. It's a very offensive thing to tell someone most people in our country would say, oh yeah, I've, I've known God my whole life. To be the one to say, maybe you've never known him is so offensive. How dare you? Right? But here's the thing. To, the Bible says that we live in such darkness spiritually that we can't see God without Christ. We can't know him. Until that's our starting point, we're deceived. In Isaiah 42, 16, it says this, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Hey, maybe you need to hear that again. God says this, I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. The world is plunged into darkness, and so are our hearts, and we desperately need light from heaven. It's our only hope, and God says, I do not forsake them. That's great news. But here's the thing. We have to admit the bad news. The world is full of darkness, and therefore we need the light of heaven. We've fallen away. We've rejected. We can't see or know God. That's where Isaiah starts. Thankfully, that's not where it finishes. Isaiah starts to talk about this servant, this suffering servant. And beginning around the 40th chapter, there are what's called the servant songs of Isaiah. It becomes clear that the way God's going to deliver this heavenly light into the world is through one person, a divine person. So jot this down. Number two, Jesus is the promised light of the world. Jesus is the promised light of the world. If you know Jesus, if you know who he is and what he's done, the Bible says you have light. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know who he is or what he's done, you live in darkness. And God wants to call you out of darkness through Christ. Jesus is the promised light of the world. In Isaiah 42, 6, here's what it says. I am the Lord. I have called you. He's talking to this servant. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant, that's a binding promise, for the people, get this, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. 
This is describing the needs of the nations and also your need. Where am I with God? DTR, determine the relationship. Where am I with God? Far away, stuck in darkness, don't know him, can't see him, he has to come rescue me. Okay. Okay, that sounds bad. It is bad. How bad is it? Well, you're a prisoner in a dungeon and you're blind. It's so dark in that jail that you can't get out. And Jesus has to come and open that door and lead you out into light and into freedom. Here's a picture of somebody who's locked up. Uh, And that's why Christmas had to happen. Because that's you. Because that's me. We are shackled in our sin. We're imprisoned by sin. We're locked up and can't get out. Here's another picture. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was frequently thrown in jail. And this is one prison that they actually think the Apostle Paul spent time in. Uh, now, some, sometimes he was under house arrest. That's where he got to write the Bible. But um, at times, when he was thrown in the dungeon, this is what it looked like. So, so put yourself in here, and uh, then subtract light, and then add rats. Okay. Spiritually, that's you. That's me. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus is the promised light of the world. We dwell in darkness. He had to come, turn on the lights, and lead us out of this jail. Jot this down. Has Jesus opened your eyes and saved you? It's a good moment for you to ask, is this what you agree with, that you are imprisoned and in darkness and God has to come set you free? Or do you still think you're a pretty good person? Do you still think the vast majority of the evil in the world is actually out there, not in here? Have you agreed with God's word that you need a Savior? Because it's Christmas time, there's so many Christmas songs on the radio, right? And everybody loves it when the Grinch song comes on. Dr. Seuss' book became a movie and a song. Everyone knows that some people are wicked, and the Grinch is the worst of them all. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Of course, he's a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. The best one is the last one. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. Until you realize... What the Bible says about you is worse than that song. You won't know your need for a Savior. Enough with all the bad people out there. Do you know you need a Savior? Do you know that? Do you know that? Or are you like Santa Claus? Oh no, I'm good. I'm helping. That's not what the Bible says. We need a Savior. Have you admitted you need a Savior? Isaiah 49.6 says this about this servant. God says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, that's Israel, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation, that means to be saved, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's sending his son down to be the savior of the world. He says it's all darkness. Here comes the light. Now imagine when Jesus knocks on your door, if you open up and you're like, Actually, I'm good without you. No, I'm one of those good people. What? Thousands of years in the making. It. No, no. 
I'm good. I'm okay. It's like you're a car trapped on the railway and a train is coming and Jesus knocks on the window and says, I'm here to free you. And you roll down the window and you say, my favorite song's on. I think I'm okay. Do you see how foolish it is when God has planned this from before time began for you to be like, I'm okay without you. I'm okay without you. It's denying the darkness. It's denying the darkness. One reason why you can deny the darkness is because God has refused to make you face the fullness of it up to this point because he's merciful. Okay, if there's a wick leak of everything you've ever done or said, the world would know who you are. He won't do that yet. It'll happen in heaven. Okay, so if that's your deal, well, until he pushes my face in it and shows me everything I've done and proves to me that I'm going to go to hell, that, then I'll admit it. Too late, too late, too late. Don't make that deal with God. Till he, without a shadow of a doubt, lays all my sins before me, then I'll say it. Don't make that deal with God. You don't want to make that deal with God. He's being merciful to you now so you can say it before it's all been showed to everyone. That's mercy. That's mercy. Has Jesus opened your eyes and saved you? Jot this down. Are you walking in the light each day? Are you walking in the light each day? So we can walk in darkness... It's a pattern of life that reflects us being against God's word and his will. Or we can walk in the light. It, it means we are in line with his word and his spirit and we love him. Are you walking in the light each day? It says in Isaiah 2.5, this is wonderful. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Psalm 119 makes it clear, right, that uh, your word is a, a light for my, a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. This is what it means to walk in the light of the Lord. Okay, so if you're, if you're following his word and doing his will, then you're in the light. If you're living by your own code, according to your own desires, then you're not. So walking in the light means you're aligned with his word. You're avoiding temptation and you're being righteous. But here's the thing. Walking in the light also means that you're, you're with him. You're with God. You're near to him. You're not far from him. And God wants you to know not just the rules. He wants you to know the relationship. And maybe you're in a dark place right now. Maybe the pain of your life and the despair of your trials has made you highly aware of your need to know God is there with you. Maybe you're not getting out of the darkness anytime soon and you want to know God's there. God wants you to walk in the light when you're enveloped by darkness. Lauren and I really met with God in a powerful way. Please listen to the sermon last week. If you missed it, you missed probably the most compelling sermon I've preached since we launched this church. So find it, listen to it. But when my sabbatical started, I knew that the check engine light was on in my soul. There was a lot God was going to do. There were a lot of burdens we were carrying, a lot of pain that we were going through, and a lot of problems that I had to give attention to. And the first thing that happened on the sabbatical is we went to the senior pastor and wives retreat. So this was the beginning of what God was going to do. And I know you're going to hate me, but we were sitting on a beach. So go ahead and hate me just for a second. Get it out of the way. All right, are you done? All right. So there we are sitting on the beach. It's probably midnight. And we're just talking it, you know, okay, here we go. Six weeks, we're gonna, what are we going to work through? We're going to talk through this and, and this and, and this. And it got heavy. We're like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we got to work through, right? Just a lot of stuff. 
And uh, we had a quiet moment there where just the weight of it all, the weight of it all was just on us. And we were on a beach and it was dark. So here's a picture. And we're just looking out over the horizon and we're just sitting there and you can hear the waves coming in and the stars were out. And it was, it was already a special moment because we knew God was there. And then something happened. We saw it on the horizon, something. There was this little light. And we were like, what is that? And we looked out on the horizon and we, were, we, we saw some boats out there too. And so Lauren was like, is that a boat? I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes they have cruises or even like party boats that go out. It's very bright. Is that a boat? And then here's the next picture. And then it kept coming up. And then we were like, oh, it's not a boat. It's the moon. <laughs> Duh. And it was like, oh, we're the moon. And then we're like, it looks very bright. It's like orange. And then it kept coming up. And check it out. Here's what it looked like by the time it, it came up. We have never seen anything like this. It lit up the beach as if it was the sun. It was like a mini, mini sun coming up. And we were like, what is happening? This is like the prettiest thing we've ever seen. It's like a sunrise in the darkness. And then we just started talking about how, wow, God talks about that. He talks about how he brings light in our darkness. When we feel like life is heavy and there's a lot going on and how, you know, where are we going to go? He, he lights up the darkness. And then I found this, Isaiah 30, 26. Listen, moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. Oh, I was like, that's amazing. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days and the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Specifically, this means to Israel, look, I'm going to get you out of this. But it means to the whole world, look, I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how dark it gets. You want to know how this is going to end? The moon's going to be brighter than the sun and the sun's going to be seven times brighter than it is right now. And he means that in a good way. He means that in a good way. You're not going to believe how bright I make this world. And this testifies to just how much light Jesus brought from heaven when he came down. It's unbelievable. Hey, are you walking in the light each day? Jot this down. Are you being transformed by his presence? Are you being transformed by his presence? So we are to be children of light. Isaiah 5.18 says, live as children, or Ephesians, Ephesians 5.8 says, live as children of light. Philippians 2.15 says, shine like stars in the night sky. So we are to be transformed by his presence. Isaiah 58.10 says this, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. In other words, when your values are reset, when you become far more focused on other people, when you walk as Jesus walked and you imitate him, right? You're a light. You're a light. Hey, are you being transformed by his presence? That's God's will. So number one, the world is full of darkness and needs light from heaven. We've fallen away. We've rejected God's law. We can't see or know him. Number two, Jesus is the promised light of the world. Has he opened your eyes and saved you? Are you walking in the light of his presence each day? And are you being transformed by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? 700 years before Christmas, this is what God was working on. Are you in? Number three, now we're going to talk about the future. Number three, Jesus is the eternal light of heaven. This is, this is the apocalyptic portion of my Christmas sermon today. <laughs> this is where we talk about the end times. What? In Christmas? Yes. In the Old Testament, they were waiting for Christ to come. In the New Testament, they're now waiting for Christ to come again. Isaiah talked about both. Jesus is not just the light 
that dawned in Bethlehem in a stable in the mighty Roman Empire. Jesus is the light to come. He is the eternal light of heaven. When you think of the future, how do you feel? When you think of the future, what comes to your mind? Sometimes people are optimistic about the future. Other times people are pessimistic about the future. Sometimes people don't even want to think about it. In uh, 1986, when I was just a boy, a, st- a song came out on the radio by a group called Tim Buck Three, and the lyrics went, the future's so bright, I need to wear shades. Graduation after graduation made that their theme song, right? Off you go to the world, the future's so bright, and the artist said, we think you're missing the point. I study nuclear science, I love my classes, I got a crazy teacher, he wears dark glasses, things are going great and they're only getting better, I'm doing all right, getting good grades, the future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. Nuclear science? They were afraid of a nuclear holocaust. They weren't saying the future's so bright, they were saying put your shades on because we're all going to be destroyed. People didn't get the message. And Isaiah is saying... The future is going to be so bright, and he means it is going to be destroyed, but he also shares hope. There was a survey done back in 2017, and let's face it, what did anyone know back in 2017 about the future, right? (laughs) But back then, most Americans, it says the online survey polled more than 2,800 adults about their future thinking, the largest of its kind to date. They found more than a quarter of Americans rarely or never think about their lives five years out from now. More than a third never think about something that could happen 10 years into the future, and more than half of Americans rarely or never think about their lives 30 years out. We've got a future gap in America, the author of the study said. People don't think about the future more too often. The Bible wants us to think about the future. Jesus is the eternal light of heaven, and the end times is talked about in Isaiah. I thought about how funny this is to be preaching a Christmas sermon and to include the apocalypse in the same thing, right? And then I thought, what would it be like if they came out with some Christmas carols that actually were kind of apocalyptic in nature? (laughs) Like, (laughs) a little town of Babylon, you know, or like Jingle Bunker, you know, something of like the world's falling apart and we're still festive and merry. Jesus is there. It's kind of a funny thought to bring those things together. But listen, I I want you to know this. The light that entered the world in Bethlehem will be the only light left in the end. Humanity will fail. Our world is getting the future forecast wrong. Whatever hope technology is bringing us, or medicine, or peace treaties, um, the Bible is clear. There would be no one left alive if not for God's love of the elect. That's the end of our story without God. So when we talk about O Little Town of Bethlehem and the light that came into the world, I need you to know that this isn't just a past tense children's story. This is our only hope. This is your only hope. And Isaiah makes that clear. And you and I have a decision today to decide if Jesus is going to be the darkness in your light. The whole world will have a final chance soon to make up their mind. Jot this down. We have to trust Jesus will resolve all the darkness on earth. Jesus will resolve all the darkness on earth. The darkness will continue to deepen and only get worse, but it won't stop Christ. Isaiah 50, 10 to 11 says this, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord 
and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This refers in the chapter to uh, the day of the Lord that is coming where God will shake the world in the tribulation. And anyone who is clinging to other gods or other moral systems or building other kingdoms or trusting other empires, listen to what it says. You shall lie down in torment. Whatever other light you're following will go out. It will not lead you to everlasting light. In Isaiah 13, 10, it talks about how terrible things will get. For the stars of the heavens and the constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. That sounds bad. That sounds bad. But guess what? It gets even worse. Trust Jesus will resolve all darkness on earth. Jot this down. Praise Jesus for preparing our place in heaven. Praise Jesus for preparing our place in heaven. In Isaiah 60, 19 to 20, listen to what it says. The sun shall be no more your light by day. Now that's the most terrifying thing I could ever tell you. Where's the sun? It's gone. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the moon's coming, right? No, that's gone. Do you see why men will faint in terror? But the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your days of mourning shall be ended. Now we're in paradise. Wow. How do we get there? This is where uh, there's, there's a little Halloween in this message, too, because we're talking about Isaiah 26, 19 says this, Your dead shall live. Now we're in a graveyard. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. This is 700 years B.C. What is he saying? He's saying the path toward eternity is the bodily resurrection. You're coming out of your grave. That's dawn. That's light. Can it get any darker than you're already in the tomb? You're underground. Does it get any darker than that? The darkness of the grave is going to be lit up by the glory of Christ. It's amazing. The light that's coming, the desperate light that you and I need. Wow. That's how we get there. Let me close with this story to show us just how beautiful the promise of Christmas really is. The light that will shine forever and even bring us back from death to life. Jules Verne was the author in the 1800s of books like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Journey to the Center of the Earth. And at his tomb, they put a monument. And check it out. Here's a picture of the monument at Jules Verne's tomb. A couple years after he died, the artist came and installed this, and it's literally him. It's Jules Verne. It's his face that they had done a mask of coming out of his own grave. Coming out of his own grave. And this is called, this, this sculpture is called, in a different language, towards immortality and eternal youth. Towards immortality and eternal youth. Listen, Jesus said there's a day coming when he will call you out of your dark tomb. You will hear the voice of the Son of God. 
and you will be raised to everlasting light. This is the light that entered the world in Bethlehem. This is the light that you and I desperately need now and forever. So if this is the light of the world, if this is your only hope to exit the darkness, will you praise Him? Will you worship Him? Have you become a follower of light? Have you left the darkness behind and repented of your sin and been born again? Have you been born a child of light? Or are you still in the darkness? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died on the cross to take away the penalty for all of your sins. He rose again and he now rules at the right hand of God Most High. And he is beckoning you to come into the light right now. If you have been saved, he's beckoning you to not go back into that darkness. And when you find yourself surrounded by darkness that you could never even imagine, don't worry, the moon's coming up. And that'll get you through for now. But soon, he will shine brighter than the sun forever. What hope we have because Jesus is dawn for our darkness. Let's pray right now to this light of the world and ask him to fill our hearts with that heavenly light. Let's pray. Jesus, we trust that you are the light of the world. Some who are here today have not admitted the truth that they are in darkness. They can't see you. They can't find you. They're in prison. And I pray that right here and right now, they would tell the truth. They would say, Jesus, I'm in darkness. You can say this in your own heart. Jesus, I'm in darkness. Lead me to the light. Open my eyes. Save me. You can ask Jesus to give you sight right now so that you can see and know God. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the crushing guilt and shame that is on your soul. Jesus will walk you out of that jail. He'll give you freedom. He'll forgive you. And he'll lead you in the way that is everlasting. Lord, I know there are some saints here who have been saved maybe for a long time. But things have gotten dark. They can't see. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where you are. And I know what the psalmist says, Why, O oh Lord, do you hide your face in times of darkness? They feel that, Lord. They feel like they can't find you. They can't see you. Maybe it's because of a trial or maybe it's because of a sin. Maybe they've blown it. And they feel so guilty and afraid. I just pray that they would listen to what Isaiah has to say that you will lead us out of the darkness into the light again, again. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk by the light of Jesus Christ, to never let go of your word, even when we're angry, even when we're guilty, even when we're afraid. May we follow your word. May we abide in your presence. And no matter how dark it gets, Jesus, find ways to light it up. Light it up again and again and again. And we know the hope we have in the very end when the darkness is final. Even the tomb won't be able to keep us there. Praise you, Jesus, for the hope that we have for light forever. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you. Amen.